among us. Um, we, we kind of set the, the service aside because there seemed to be a sovereign work of the Holy Spirit among us. Um, and, and we end up praying for people at different ways and means, and including to receive the baptism in the Holy Spirit, which some did receive the baptism on a Wednesday night, you know, following a dinner fellowship meal and, and with, with children and rural rangers and impact ministries going on and nursery going, people received the baptism in the Holy Spirit and other couples were prayed for. Right? It's a powerful moment if you were present. Just individuals that have been away from church for a while were back and, and uh, you know, just needing to be reaffirmed. We were able to reaffirm them through prayer and, and just pray the Word of God over them. So, but as, as things were wrapping up or, or somewhere in the midst of it, JoJo had made a statement. If you, if you come on Wednesday nights, I often take the back seat and, and until the time of teaching because it's a, allow JoJo as our associate pastor to kind of lead the service. And he made a statement that he said, um, you know, we are a Pentecostal fellowship. And you know, that's kind of got down in my thoughts. And, uh, and, and so I've had it on my mind for the latter few days. And, and I wanted to, to bring that from that moment in my prayer time. That's what has surfaced, if I can use this term, bubbled up. And uh, I want to take you into what it actually means to be Pentecostal. I want to ask you to stand up. We're going to pray here in just a moment of time. You know, I've actually had people that um, have had a pre... uh, I I use... You get messed up. I'm going to say this. When you're trying to communicate at times and you know that your vocabulary is limited, but you've been trained in King James English... And so I know there's things like prejudice or, or when you, what is it when you think about something uh, beforehand and you judge it beforehand or something? Or you have a pre, preconceived idea, preconceived. See, my mind says predetermined counsel because <laughs> that's it, the scriptures. That's King James. So in my mind, I'm about to say the predetermined counsel. And, um, but I've had, I've had folks that have talked about and said, oh, our church is Pentecostal. Now, they, they saw the work of the Holy Spirit, but they had a preconceived idea of what Pentecostalism was and they weren't able to actually distinguish the difference and and be able to tell what actually is there is there such a thing as Pentecostal and that's what I want to talk about for a few minutes because so I'm going to tag team with that statement we are a Pentecostal fellowship here today and I'm going to share with you before I finish five attributes that I believe that are a part of being Pentecostal So let's pray. Father, we love you and we're so grateful for this moment today, humbled by what we have been allowed to participate in, this thing called worship. Father, that you allow us as frail human beings to be able to worship you and express our adoration and praise towards you. God, it's already been prayed, my Father, in this house that preaching would come easy. And I pray, Father, that it will come easy today, that the communication of what's on my heart will be readily and easily shared but also the heart of the people would be ready to receive. Something would be stirred in their heart, that there be a clarification of of doctrinal issues or things that they may have been misunderstanding concerning, let there be something that sparks inside them uh, in in a confirmation of uh, being Pentecostal and what that means. Lord, it's in Jesus' name, and everyone said amen and amen, and you can be seated. Now, I want to take you back in time even deeper just real quickly than a few days ago because Christianity has often had multiple labels for the whole, for the whole uh, 
all believers everywhere that have authentic faith in Christ. We certainly have multiple labels that have historically been applied to the church, even uh, in the very beginning. And we've been studying just very lightly on Wednesday evenings the book of Acts. And if you follow the book of Acts, you can see even then a distinction of, of labels uh, that were originally applied to what you and I call the church. And, and you can see it unfold in the book of Acts. Let me give you an example. The, originally, the apostles were just simply, and those that were with Jesus were simply called the disciples of Jesus. They were students of a teacher. Jesus was a rabbi. And they were students. The word disciple means students. Uh, you will find um, the term the sect of the Nazarene in the scriptures where the Sanhedrin uh, in, in accusing Paul as uh, wrecking havoc against Judaism said he's a ringleader of the sect of the Nazarene. So they saw Jesus as uh, those that followed Jesus by that time, which would be 30 or 40 years into the development of Christianity as a sect within Judaism. But the, the ringleader was the Nazarene. And now Paul has become that ringleader following in his footsteps. Paul himself called it the way. He said, I persecuted those that were in the way. I don't know whether he was drawing that from Jesus' statement in John 14 where he said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. So, and then the Bible says in the book of Acts that, that believers were first called Christians at Antioch where the church kind of had the, the attention of the church had shifted from Jerusalem to Antioch. But then we also find multiple labels within the broader spectrum of Christianity. And we, even in our time, and sometimes it's denominationalism that gives us those, those labels. Sometimes it's uh, certainly theological. And sometimes it's just the life practices of the individuals. In what we call today Pentecostal identity, Pentecostal identity are, is for those that are within Christianity who believe in the Holy Spirit's ongoing work in the church as it began in the book of Acts on that famous day of Pentecost. Now, Pentecost simply means Feast of Weeks. It's a feast in ancient Israel that was a celebration of the first fruits of harvest. But for whatever reason, God chose to pour His Spirit out as a fulfillment of the prophecy in the book of Joel where Joel the prophet had foresaw a day when God would take of his spirit that in the old covenant had been reserved almost exclusively for the prophet, the priest, or the king. And God said in that word, that prophetic word through Joel, that there would come a day. He called it the last days. God said, I would pour out my spirit upon all flesh. Come on, somebody. You don't have to be a prophet to have the spirit of God come upon you. You don't have to be born in the lineage of a priest, and you don't have to be a king uh, on a throne somewhere for the Spirit of God to come upon you. You don't have to be male or female. God's Spirit falls upon all of us. Young or old, the Holy Spirit is uh, ready to work in the lives of individuals. And for that moment, since Peter quoted that prophecy on the day of Pentecost, with the reemergence of a belief in the ongoing operation of the Holy Spirit in the early 1900s, a new group of believers reemerged within Christianity called and was labeled Pentecostals. Now, with that, there has always been some negative connotations attached as well. Pentecostals have been named and called fanatics, right? Holy rollers. 
nutcases, <laughs> right? A lot of negative connotations. And then as the, the, there was an evolution of the movement and even some fragmentation within the movement, uh, spirit-filled, often you'll say things like that, well, I go to a spirit-filled fellowship. Now, you may understand what that means as you share that with someone, but someone else may not understand what that means, right? Um, you've heard this term, full gospel. Now, that's not a term that you see that often today, a full gospel church, a full gospel fellowship. About 30 years ago, 40 years ago, it was big within Pentecostalism, full gospel. The Assemblies of God actually stood upon a banner called all the gospel or the full gospel, all the gospel, not to, uh, to exclude any part of the preaching of the gospel, so a full gospel. Charismatic is a term that you've been uh, associated with, right, which is the word charis in Scripture, charisma. It's where we get the word grace, but also the work of the Holy Spirit is associated as a gift of grace, a gift of the Holy Spirit translated as gift in the King James English of the Bible. So a charismatic is one that believes in the gifts of the Spirit of God. Well, now today, many churches like to be called spirit-led. We're a spirit-led church. And, and, but on the, on the flip side of it, let me just say this. It just simply comes to the, what's called classical Pentecostalism. And in essence of this in a nutshell is that it's, we believe in the ongoing work of the Holy Spirit. And many times Pentecostalism is associated with speaking in other tongues. Often that's the distinguishing doctrine. Let me just take a moment of time. Uh, I believe in speaking in other tongues. But I want to say this. To be Pentecostal is to be more than just a tongue talker. It's more than to just have a personal experience with speaking in other tongues or even a belief in. Now, I want you to know there are, there's a division in doctrines as it relates to speaking in other tongues. And today's message is not about speaking in other tongues. And, but, but at the same time, I don't want to be ashamed of a gift or a work of the Holy Spirit that I value so deeply in my own personal life. And I want to be one that encourages you in your personal experience to seek for the baptism in the Holy Spirit, to long for it. Luke chapter 11, Jesus said this, how much more will your heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those that ask him? And so it's our belief that God desires to fill each of his children with the baptism in the Holy Spirit. And so Pentecostal certainly includes a belief in that continual working of the Spirit and the public and private usage of tongues, but it is much more than that. Much, much more. More than I can even share here today. I want you to know today that you can be Pentecostal and have not yet received the baptism. See, I was in the Air Force for nine years, but I never flew a fighter jet. I never flew a fighter jet, but that didn't mean that I was not in the Air Force, right? I never uh, was a part of ground or air combat. But that didn't mean that I didn't have a part to play and that I didn't still yet wear blue. And just because maybe you, see, if you've got the baptism of the Holy Spirit, then it's easy for you to identify yourself as Pentecostal because you've got the baptism, you speak in tongues either publicly or privately in your private devotions. However, if you've not yet received the baptism of the Holy Spirit, you may not feel like that you're Pentecostal. But today, we're going to stretch your belief in Pentecostalism to the degree that you're going to have a confidence to say, yeah, you know what, I am Pentecostal, right? And to do so unashamedly. 
to say that this is one of the distinguishing uh, attributes of my faith in Christ, that this is the sect that I'm a part of, that I believe in the power of the Holy Spirit. And so today, I'm going to share with you these five distinguishing attributes that God's laid on my heart. Number one, it's very simple. It's a deeper experience with God's Spirit. Let me say this. To receive a deeper experience with God's Spirit is not dependent entirely upon receiving the baptism. God's Spirit can still come upon you in a powerful way and you have not yet received the baptism of the Holy Spirit and spoke with other tongues. To be Pentecostal is to recognize the continual work of the Holy Spirit in the life stream of the church. There's a doctrinal belief that's called a cessationist, and it's this belief right here, that the gifts and the operations of the Holy Spirit that's mentioned by the Apostle Paul in 1 Corinthians 12 and also in 1 Corinthians 14 ceased in the first century. That's why they're called cessationists. They have ceased to be in existence. But you and I do not believe that way. We believe that God's Spirit is still manifesting Himself to all those that are hungry and desire God's presence in their life. So to be Pentecostal is in your own life to recognize that God can manifest himself. God is omnipresent. He's everywhere in all times. But God can manifest himself in your life. You can be driving down the road in the cab of your vehicle when all of a sudden the divine presence of God. Do you remember in the book of Exodus when the, or the book of Numbers when the children of Israel... We're, we're, we're having some of their issues. And the Bible says that the glory of God appeared in the tabernacle. Moses and Aaron were not even in there as of yet. They were addressing the grievances of the people. And the Spirit of God suddenly, there, that means that there was some type of illuminating presence of God that was visible and tangible to the people that they could discern that the presence of God had filled the tabernacle. I want you to know that God's Spirit will still manifest Himself in your life. And you can know His presence upon you. You can have an anointing upon your life. I want everybody to get this in your heart until you can say this and believe it. 2 Corinthians chapter 1, Paul said this. He said, it is God that hath anointed us. You can have an anointing upon your life. You say, Pastor, I don't even know what that word anoint means. The word anoint means to smear with or to rub upon with oil. And so the oil represents the Holy Spirit. And so the anointing is when there's a manifestation of the Spirit of God upon your life, where God anoints you. You don't have to be a preacher to have the anointing. You don't have to be a pastor or a prophet to have the anointing. The anointing of God can come upon your life that takes you into a strength that's beyond yourself where you're able to say, I could not do this in my own ability, but when God's power comes over me, when his anointing comes over me, then I have an ability to do the things that I could not ordinarily do. That's why we call it supernatural. It exceeds the natural realm. A confidence that can come in your life based upon the anointing. You might not have an ability in the natural to speak publicly or to have an articulate tongue, but when the Spirit of God comes upon you a boldness rises up inside you and you get a word on your tongue and you're able to communicate and say words that you've not have uh, you've not trained and been trained to say but the spirit of God is supplying those words for you right when you need them glory to God and so it's an anointing upon your life so to be Pentecostal means it's that you believe that the spirit of God can come upon you even for great exploits to which I'll talk about in just a moment it's a belief that God God can reveal his word to you by his spirit. 
I believe that one of the greatest defining works of the Spirit of God in our lives as a Pentecostal is that we believe that there are mysteries that are contained in the Word of God that may lie there visible in front of our eyes entire, all, the, all of our lifetime without our ability to see them until the anointing of God comes on us and then like Paul, scales fall off of our eyes and that which was clearly there previously but was hidden from us is now made known to us. And we begin to understand spiritual truths and principles that we could not previous. I'll tell you what, let me just go a little farther. I feel it quickened in my heart. 1 John 2 and 27 is a defining work of the Holy Spirit in your life. The apostle John said that the anointing of God abides in you. And you have not need for any man to teach you. But as the same anointing teaches you of all things. It's in the context where there's a lot of error. There's a lot of doctrinal error. It's in the context where Paul, or excuse me, where John is warning the church of voices of spirits that speak in the name of the Lord but then oftentimes do not have the actual voice of God or the authoritative word of God but he said this but when you've got the anointing within you you're able to discern the voice of truth from a voice of a lie and I want you to know in the generation in which we live today you need to be able to discern truth from a lie you need the quickening power of the Holy Spirit inside you to give witness to watch that which is right, that which is good, that which is just, and that which is holy. Come on, somebody. And so, as a Pentecostal, you desire, you desire His Spirit to work in your life. There are many in the church world that are genuinely born again, but they've never said, Father, let your Spirit work in my life today. Listen, to be Pentecostal is to embrace Him to desire earnestly for his spirit to work in our hearts and our lives. When you are Pentecostal, you strive not to quench God's spirit nor to grieve God's spirit. It's personal to you. It, when you're married, you don't want to grieve your, your spouse. I almost said wife, but hopefully it's both ways. You don't want to, you don't want your, when your spouse is, is upset you shouldn't. Some of you are going, well, I beg to differ. <laughs> well, you need to repent because you don't want to grieve your spouse. You don't want your spouse to be saddened by your actions, hurt by your actions, not affectionate towards you because of your actions, right? The same way our communion with the Father. I don't want to grieve the Father. I don't want to grieve his spirit in my life by my conduct. Hello? By my words? By the lifestyle that I live? Right? To be Pentecostal is to recognize there's a distinguishing element in my life. So therefore, I may make choices that may differ from someone even in the, Christ, the, the movement or the faith of Christianity. I may dress differently. Oh, now y'all really shout me down, but I'll just preach it anyhow. I'll just, I may listen to different music. I may watch different things on television, right? Because I don't want to grieve. I want to have his anointing upon my life. And I want to be, I want to be sensitive to his anointing. And I don't want him grieved. When I need him, I don't want him to be distant from me. Come on, somebody. And so, number one, very quickly, to be Pentecostal is a belief in a deeper work of the Holy Spirit in your life as an individual. And it's available of, to all of us that are here today. Number two, 
You pursue God passionately in worship. A passionate pursuit of God. Now, a passionate pursuit is not something that we bring in this church every Sunday. And I'm not, going to, I'm not saying this to, uh, to, to belittle our church family. I'm saying this to encourage our church family. I believe that every time that we come together, you ought to be hungry for this moment of worship. There ought to be, listen to what the psalmist David said. He said, as the heart, which is the deer, as the deer panteth for the water brooks, so my soul thirsteth for thee. My soul thirsts for the living God. I long for this moment. To be Pentecostal is to recognize that God is great and he's greatly to be praised. That God deserves all the praise and worship. That worship, when you become Pentecostal, it takes upon a deeper meaning. Praise becomes audible. Now, I know you can praise in your heart. I know you can praise God quietly. I know that you can muse upon these things. But I want you to know today that to be Pentecostal is that God gives you opportunities to be expressionate in your adoration to his name. I'm telling you the dynamics of our church will change. And the dynamics of our church will gain a new uh, uh, presence of God among us if all of us would come into this sanctuary on Sunday morning. Even though you may have not received the baptism in the Holy Spirit and recognize, but recognize this that I'm a child of God and I have a privileged opportunity to worship God and the psalmist said God inhabits the praises of his people and so if I want God to be enthroned among us and I want him to be enthroned among us so that he can have his liberty among us then I've got to enter into his presence with thanksgiving I've got to learn that God, God receives my praise and so here's what, here's what has to happen inside you. Your desire, listen to this very carefully. Your desire to give God glory must overcome your natural tendencies to refrain from public displays of emotion. Your natural tendency is to refrain from a public expression of emotion as it relates to your worship of God. But So what's got to happen inside you is your desire inside you to give God glory has got to overcome that natural tendency so that when you get an opportunity, you will not sit there silent like a rock and refuse to open your mouth, but you will say, God, I will give you the sacrifice of praise that is the fruit of my lips giving thanks to your holy name. You will be unashamed. Listen, I believe in clapping. Pastor, you're one of those radicals. Yes. Why? Because the psalmist said, clap your hands, all you people. I've been to ball games. I've been to other sporting events. I've been to politician rallies. And whenever somebody says something that they think deserves adoration or appreciation, then they put their hands together and they clap. When I think of all God's done in my life, when I think about how he saved me and redeemed me and washed me by his blood, I can't help but clap and applaud all the goodness of God in my life. To clap unto God, to sing with an audible voice. Listen, I know I don't sing on key. I don't care. 
but I'm going to sing unto him and worship him. I'm telling you, I know that, uh, well, I better be careful about this one. You know, there's a day gone by. Everybody used to preach against dancing. Now we got folk dancing and all this. I'm not going to get in your way of all that stuff. That's between you and Jesus. But let me just tell you, if you're going to be willing to dance, you ought to come to this house and say, my God, if I'm going to dance with anybody, let me be with Jesus. Let it be with Jesus and let me bring that because what would happen to the dynamics of this service if as we worship God that you said, I cannot be contained in that seat any longer. I'm going to make my way to the front where I can twirl, where I can sing, where I can worship, where I can dance, where I can shout. I believe in a shout. I preached an entire message about the shout because I believe that there's a, the, the shout has a spiritual anointing in it. There's not a battlefield anywhere in the world where the warriors haven't drawn their arms back and engaged the adversary with a shout. Well, you and I are more than overcomers today. We're fighting a battle that's already been won, hallelujah, against an adversary that's already been defeated. And we're shouting praise to our God that the victory is his, glory to God, and we give him praise. We cry. Come on, many of you have to wipe tears from your eyes in the midst of the service because you're overwhelmed by the presence of God. You fall, some fall this way, some fall that way, but you fall prostrate at the feet of Jesus. And sometimes you run all for the glory of God. So number two today, listen, to be Pentecostal means that you passionately, can I say that you passionately pursue God, be in pursuit of him. You want to give you the example of that in the scriptures? The, the example of that is the Song of Solomon. Example of that because the, in the story of the Song of Solomon, when Solomon has come to his, his wife's house and there they spent the night together, the beloved, and they have consummated their marriage. Somewhere in the night, the king got up and left. And the bride woke up and he was gone. And the part of the, part of the testimony there in the book is that the bride then got up to pursue after her lover, to search every high hill and every low valley until she could find the one that she loved and then come back to the banqueting table, the Scripture says, where his banner over us is love. And so when you come to worship, you need to be in pursuit of God, be in pursuit like a lovesick lover that says, I can't wait to be with my beloved because he is your beloved today. He is. Number th Man, I'm preaching better than y'all shouting here today. I feel this already. I feel this in my heart today. Number three, to be Pentecostal, and I love this one, you believe in the miraculous. I believe in miracles. Now, let me just take you into the history of this for a moment. By the time of Jesus' day, the controlling uh, leadership in the uh, in Judaism was the Sanhedrin Council uh, with the Sadducees. The Sadducees had the greatest number of leaders on the council. Out, even though they were smaller as a sect than the Pharisees, they controlled more because they had more men on the controlling group of the 70 elders, the Sanhedrin. And the Sadducees did not believe in miracles at all. At all. They didn't believe in spirits. They didn't believe in... That's why when you search the scriptures, they're trying to find out 
the validity of these things that, were, that Jesus was doing. But let me say this today. I'm not just talking about speaking in tongues. I believe in the miraculous element of tongues. I can pray to God in a language that I didn't learn. Come on, in my house or at a grammar school anywhere, God gives me. Right? God gives me an expression at tongue. And I'm not even talking about just healing. But I'm simply talking about God's supernatural power revealed in your life. To be Pentecostal is to say, God, if I get myself in a bad situation, come on, I've got a God that's watching over me by divine power. I believe in miraculous deliverance from tragedy. You say, Pastor, well, then explain to me why this person didn't receive. I can't explain to you why. I don't even want to go there with that argument. I can't go there. All I can say is, God, I trust that you've got angels that go before me and angels that come behind me. The Bible says that God will bear me up in the hands of an angel lest I dash my feet against the stones. I believe in supernatural provision. Have you ever seen God do something in your life that you said, my God, where did that come from? It may have not been the breaking of bread like Jesus where it was multiplied, but I'm telling you, when God brought a source or a resource into your life that you had not done anything to earn or to even to initiate, but God in his sovereign grace just brought it into your life, that's a supernatural moment. And you learn to celebrate those. How many of you have ever had information that God gave you that was critical to a situation that was going on in your life. Remember what this right here in the days of Elisha. In the days of Elisha when the Syrians were waging war against, I believe it was the Syrians against Israel. And they, every time that they tried to launch a campaign against the northern kingdom of Israel when the kingdom was divided in those days, the southern kingdom Judah, the northern kingdom Israel, to which Elisha ministered in the northern kingdom. And the, the king, after several attempts to launch a successful campaign to which they were defeated, he finally turned to his men and he said, which one of you is for the king of Israel? Which one of you uh, is betraying us? Which one of you is telling our tactics? Somebody has to uh, be practicing espionage. Somebody among us is a betray has betrayed us. And finally, somebody stood up and said, Listen, the prophet Elisha, here's what goes on in this chamber where we meet together. So God, well, man, I tell you what, that means when I need information. Are y'all catching what I'm saying? About a particular situation that I have no natural means to gain that information. I serve a God in heaven that can reveal things in my life or things that are around my life supernaturally to give me the information so that I can make the right decision and respond to the situation correctly. And I tell you what, to be Pentecostal is a belief that God can do it and he will do it. It's a belief that God will miraculously guide your steps. I believe God will miraculously guide us through life. God will order our steps, lead us. I've already said I believe angels are at work that are protecting you and your family. So here's what the, to be Pentecostal is. To be Pentecostal is that when you study the scriptures and you see the miraculous, you do not just look at that as a historical account that has no application in your life today. To be Pentecostal is to do this right here. It's to say, God... If you split the if you split the sea so they could walk right through it 
then God, you can do whatever you need to do in my life. If I'm here and I need to go there, and there's a barrier greater than I am, David said, by my God, I'll run through a troop and I'll leap up over a wall. I remember years ago, and this will be a great lead-in to number four, but Dr. Lester Summerall, who was a missionary and an apostolic uh, uh, minister around the world and preached in over 110 nations of the world in some of the darkest climates uh, that you can imagine preaching the power of the gospel. And somebody was interviewing him later about some of his work in the African continent where there's a lot of witchcraft that's present. And some of you have been there, and you know that to be true, where they practice voodooism and they don't just practice it their spirits at work with them and someone asked dr uh, summerall and said this they said we've heard reports dr summerall of some of the of the of the uh, warring tribal leaders or not the warring tribal leaders but the uh, uh the witch doctors practicing spirits working with them so they can literally float he said they said to dr summerall said what would you do if you were in the service or trying to minister as a missionary and all of a sudden he exercised that power and he began to float, here's what he said. He said, then I'd float too, glory to God. Because he had a belief, let me just say this, he had a belief that the power of God working in him was greater than the dark power that was working in the life of those that were practicing witchcraft. And you say, Pastor, I'm not a missionary in the dark continent of Africa. I understand that today, but you still need God's power in your life. You still need to be a believer that says, God, what you've done for others, you'll do for me when I need it in my life. Number four is a belief, listen to this, it is a belief that spiritual warfare has to go to a new level. It's a new level, I heard this said by a preacher years ago, a new level for a new devil. It's a recognition the King James Bible does not use the term demonic. The New King James does. So it depends upon what you've been trained in. A recognition of devils or demonic power at work in the earth. I recognize today that there are unseen forces. That there may not be any type of infrared or uh, type of camera system that can capture these so that they can exploit it in some television show. I recognize that there may not be the there, there not, might not be a microscope or any type of X-ray equipment that can capture the image of these spirits, but the Bible tells me that there are fallen spirits in the earth, bound under chains of darkness, tormenting spirits, evil spirits, lying spirits, spirits that come to steal, kill, and to destroy. That I don't just wrestle with flesh and blood. My enemy is not my neighbor. But my enemy is my adversary, the devil. To be Pentecostal is to recognize dark powers at work in the earth today. Did you know that there are those in the church today that look upon all that as superstition? Even in Christianity. Even though Jesus exploited the devil's lies. Uh, uh, there are those in the church today that say it's just foolishness while they're bound by those oppressing spirits. Listen, let me tell you today, there is a darkness in the earth, witchcraft, conjuring spirits. There's drug addictions. You can't tell me that crystal meth doesn't have a devil behind it. You can't tell me that if you put crystal meth in your body that you're not inviting a devil to come in. 
You can't tell me that. It's not just the byproduct of a natural uh, or unnatural chemical that's going in your body. It's a demon spirit. And it's going to take more than just treatment to drive it out. It's going to take an authoritative word from God to break its stronghold off the lives of men and women. But thank be unto God, Pentecostalism believes that we don't just ask the devil to leave, but we demand that he leaves based upon the finished work of Christ on the cross. That based upon Jesus' defeating of Satan on the cross of Calvary through his death, burial, and resurrection. And so when John saw him many years later on the Isle of Patmos, he said, I am he that was dead. Behold, I am alive forevermore and I have the keys to death and of hell. And so you and I believe that we've got power against the devil. Did you know we have a, because of being Pentecostal, we understand that the devil schemes against us. He plots against us. He attempts to hinder your life, to hinder the work of God in your life. Paul uses the term in Scripture, devices of the devil. Uh, Paul said, Satan hindered us. Jesus said, Satan has desired to have you. Peter said, your adversary is as a roaring lion. Paul said, he is a messenger of Satan. Paul said, a Satan is transformed into an angel of light. Paul said, we wrestle not with flesh and blood. So to be Pentecostal is a belief that there are spirits that might be unseen to the natural eye, but they're at work in the earth today, and they're trying to hinder the work of God in your life. But the good news of the gospel is this. The weapons of your warfare are not carnal, but they are mighty through God to the pulling down of strongholds and the casting down of imaginations and to bringing every thought subject to the knowledge of God. I love Luke 10 when the disciples of Jesus came back from the very first time of experiencing the casting out of devils uh, 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 through the power that Christ breathed upon them. They said this. They said, Lord, even the devils are subject unto us through your name. And Jesus said this in Luke 10 and 19. He said, I beheld Satan as lightning fall from heaven. Behold, I give unto you power to tread on all the works of the enemy. And nothing shall by any means harm you. Romans 15, Paul said this, God shall bruise Satan under our feet shortly. The Bible tells us that we can draw near to God and he will draw near to us from that strength of God that he gives us. We then resist the devil and the devil flees from us. Let me tell you today, don't be intimidated by the devil. Don't allow him to plant thoughts in your mind. Don't allow him to wreak havoc in your home. He is a defeated foe. You've been given authority and dominion in the power of the name of Jesus. And when the Spirit of God inside you gives you discernment that this is not just a natural situation, but there's a devil behind it, then you better learn to lift your voice up because if you sit there silent, he will bring confusion and discord to your entire home. While you sit there silent, unafraid to address the situation. When Jesus dealt with people that were trying to hinder the will of God in his life and he discerned that the devil was at work, he would quickly say, get thee behind me, Satan. For you savor not the things that be of God, but the things that be of man. He could discern the enemy's attempt to bring discontentment and, and, and discord to his mission in life. And you've got to be discerning. To be Pentecostal is to take spiritual warfare. Come on, somebody. That's a good word here today. 
I don't know what's going on across the street or up the hill, but that's a good word right here at First Assembly. To be Pentecostal is I'm not saying that you got to look for a devil under every rock. But when the Holy Spirit inside you reveals to you that there's a deeper, there's something more that you're dealing with. There's a devil behind this. You can treat a sickness all day long with every medicine. It can be the greatest drug. But if there's a devil behind it, it's not leaving. That spirit of infirmity is not leaving until somebody exercises dominion and authority in the name of Jesus Christ. And we've got to be more discerning as a fellowship. And you've got to learn to become more discerning as an individual. To be Pentecostal is to take spiritual warfare to a next level. And lastly, number five. And I love this one as I close today. Are y'all with me today in closing? JoJo started this on Wednesday night. He said, we're a Pentecostal fellowship. I want you to know what that means. It doesn't just mean we speak in tongues. Though we do speak in tongues. But it means so much more. And it means so much more than what I can share with you in a 45-minute sermon on Sunday morning. You know what I pray for my children on a regular basis? I prayed for it this morning. I prayed it just this way right here. Here's how I prayed. Father, I stir up the gift of God that's in the inside of Ashley. I stir up the gift of God that's on the inside of Amber. I stir up the gift of God that's on the inside of Anthony. I stir up the gift of God that's on the inside of Austin. I stir up the gift of God that's on the inside of Aaron. I stir up the gift of God that's on the inside of Alyssa. God, let them be filled with the Holy Spirit. Fill them unto overflowing with the power of the Holy Spirit. When you're filled with the Holy Spirit, that makes you Pentecostal. You may not like the label. You may not like the connotations. I'm sorry. I'm just telling you. I'm bringing clarification to what that means. It means that the Holy Spirit, that you value the work of the Holy Spirit. You embrace the work of the Holy Spirit. You don't want the Holy Spirit to be grieved or quenched in your own heart and life. But you invite him to work. And lastly, number five is a word in season. It's a word in season. Pastor, what do you mean by that? Do you know the Bible says in the book of Isaiah... It's something that I pray on a regular basis as a pastor. It says that God will awaken my ear as the ear of the learned. He said, God will awaken. It was a prophet. And he was saying, in the middle of my night sleep, God awakens me with the ear of the learned. I mean, I have an attentive ear to hear what? A word from the Father. What kind of word? Here's what he said, Isaiah 50 and 4. He said that I may have a word in season. A word in season. What's a word in season? A word is this right here. Here's what it is, and I'm closing. I know it's right at the noon hour, but let me say these. Let me, let me finish strong here real quickly. I believe in the word of God today. You said, Pastor, you didn't even read a text today. I didn't read a text, but I preached the word, right? I believe in the word of God today, don't you? I don't believe that this is just a history book. I don't believe in reading about the gospels and reading about the uh, acts of the apostles and, and that it is just a, a snapshot of antiquity. I believe it to be a living force in my life today. That Jesus is synonymous with his word. And so that God, as I read the word of God and meditate upon the word of God, the Holy Spirit who in point number two or point number one, attribute number one, who I've embraced and said, God, I want you to work. He searches what's the heart and the mind of God and he quickens a word in my heart. Now, I use that word regularly, quicken, and maybe you don't understand what that means. That's King James English for make alive. God can make alive his word in you. Man, now, now everybody's not got a hold of that just yet. 
Did you know the psalmist said this? He said, I will rejoice at thy word as a man that found great spoil. Two nights ago, for a few moments, Sherry and I was watching television. I think that we were watching that show alone. I, I like that show alone where those guys go out there and try to survive for a few days. While watching that show, Publishers Clearinghouse Sweepstakes advertisement came on. And they were showing people show up at the door, JoJo, with the check and the balloons. And when they showed up, <laughs> the expressions on the face of the people was shock, number one, and then overcome with excitement. Matter of fact, I said, Sherry, sign us up. <laughs> I've said this for many years as a pastor. When God reveals a word to you, it's greater riches than Publishers Clearinghouse showing up at your door with a check for $10 million. Because that's going to fade away. But God's word's going to endure. And God can give you a word just when you need it the most. It can be, listen what it can be about. And I invite, uh, who's on the platform with me right there real quickly. I invite you as I close. I know I preached a long time and I didn't mean to. But I just got this down in my spirit as we saw the Holy Spirit at work on Wednesday night. Listen very carefully. The Holy Spirit can reveal a word to you, a word in season for instruction when you need it the most, for correction when you're about to go out of the way, when your attitude needs to be corrected, right? When your thoughts need to change, when you need new direction in your life, God can give you a word. God can give you a word about protection, provision, or a revelation of spiritual truth. How many of you ever just needed peace in a certain situation? You just, your heart was just heavy. And all of a sudden, a word was quickened, and you felt the strength of God. Pentecostals believe a word in season. Right there, a quick, does that make sense? A quickened word. God brought it to life. God can bring clarity to your life through a quickened word. God can bring peace and instruction to a confusing situation. God can give you direction when you're faced with a difficult decision. I've tell you, there are many times that I've gone to the Word of God. When I needed wisdom about a certain situation, I, needed, I didn't know where to go. And as I was reading and meditating upon the word, all of a sudden I found myself associated with a text, a passage in scripture that God illuminated and it held, it held inside it the treasure of the answer that I needed for the situation that I was dealing with. That's a word in season. That's what God can give us. I want to encourage you as I close, you don't just read Christian books about the word read the word and then pray for God's spirit to bring you a word in season right when you need it the most that's what it means to be Pentecostal you're never without the comforting voice of God in your spirit because he will quicken a word inside you I'll give you an example years ago Sherry and I um, and, and some of you have suffered through, as some of the ladies under the sound of my voice have suffered through the trauma of miscarriage. And, and certainly I, I'm very sympathetic and sensitive to this subject. My own daughter has uh, actually suffered through it twice. But there was a moment, there was a moment when Sherry and I, and I've told the story before, but I just want to give you an example of how quickening, quickening, the quickened word of God, quickened word of God. Sherry, and I, and I don't always like to use graphic terms, 12 weeks pregnant with Aaron, and she passed two huge blood clots. 
and it looked like it could be on the edge of miscarriage. And we'd gone to see the doctor, and the doctor examined her, and uh, she, she still had the baby, just 12 weeks though. Uh, and so, but he said this, he said these words. He said, he said, you probably won't carry this baby. But in me, I can tell you this, just like I stand there right there. Now, I didn't audibly say it right there, but like Elizabeth, I heard it within me. Or Sarah, excuse me, or Sarah, I heard it within me. I heard his voice, and I said this in my mind. I said, we reject death, and we choose life. I can, I can tell you, just like that, I'm standing by Sherry. She's sitting on the table. The doctor just said those words. He doesn't know what's going on inside me. He doesn't know, but right when the devil is speaking a word of unbelief, the Spirit of God quickens a word inside me. And in my spirit, I didn't audibly say it then, but I said it, I heard it, I visualized it. I said, we reject death and we choose life. That's a quickened word. That's when his word is made alive inside you right when you need it the most. Hallelujah. And that's what it means to be Pentecostal. Won't you stand up today? Father, we're so grateful. I don't know how to end a service like this. I don't want to take away from or add to if I don't need to. Can we just take a moment to just, just embrace the work of God's Spirit in your life? To be Pentecostal is more than just to experience Him at church. If, if all your experience is is bound to 45 minutes on a Sunday morning, then you're not really Pentecostal. Pentecostal is to recognize God's Spirit, His, His work in your life. 24 hours a day, seven days a week, God's Spirit is with you. Let's take a moment. Let's just worship Him. Can we just embrace His presence? For